You're listening to the Solo to CEO podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Solo to CEO podcast, where we provide a mix of powerful, thought-provoking, and practical information to assist you in your transformation from solo to CEO of a high-impact, high-revenue-generating business. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here this morning with Karen Graves, founder and CEO of Karen Graves Coaching. Welcome, Karen. Hello, Davina. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so yes, I love, I love sales and I love to help women sell, especially women business owners. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as being comfortable and confident and, and ready and able to have the conversations that convert. So I've been, you know, doing this for, I've been in sales for over 20 years, but I've been in my coaching business for over a decade now. And it's, you know, with that, if you're not selling, you don't have a business. So I make it my point to make sure that women can sell. <laughs> so tell me, how did you get, how did you wind up? Uh, what was your background before you became a, a coach, before you started Kara Graves Coaching and Consulting? Were you in corporate yeah. doing sales or corporate. what was your, what was your background? Yeah, so I was in corporate. I started in pharmaceutical sales, and um, I worked with the company that has the big blue pill for men. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Yes. And so I was a sales rep, you know, going to doctor's offices, and then I got promoted through the ranks, and I ended up in the sales training and development department. And so I started with training new hires, and then I ultimately ended up where I was a manager, and I was training the training managers to train the um, sales reps. So I guess you could say, you know, once I started in sales, I never stopped. So that is really tremendous training because pharmaceutical sales, that you that is like the pinnacle for training, right? For yes, sales training. Yes. Yeah. For sales training. It really is. They really pour a lot into your sales prowess and um, making sure that you're, you know, competent and confident. Um, and then even with the company that I was with, there's the uh, American Society of Training and Development. Like they were voted number one twice um, across all industries. So it's, you know, it was really seen as like one of the pinnacles of, of you know, selling overall, just even for the, being with that company. So I know that when you left corporate that you were actually kind of excited about it because it gave you a chance to pursue a dream that you had at the time, which was to be an entrepreneur and, and start your own coaching company, teaching other people sales, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I tell me about excited. that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that. Weird to say because I was actually downsized, you know, yeah. during the time like we were going through and corporate like, downsizing. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, where most people understandably would be like, you know, I don't want to be the one. I was like raising my hand, please pick me, choose me. Um, and a lot of that came from just having this belief of, you know, I was meant to do something different and bigger, and also to this drive and desire to help people kind of like my way of helping people and um, having some autonomy, you know, um, in the process too. So it was, you know, it's that whole dream of freedom and flexibility and starting your own thing and saving the world, you know? Um, and and so, that was way back in, that was way back in 2007, right? Yeah. In 2007, yeah. the end of 2007. And you know, interestingly enough, that was when like the bubble burst and you know, <laughs> went into a recession. And so I may not have been on my side, um, but <laughs> um, I was still enthusiastic. You know, I was still believing like that was the path that I was supposed to take at the time. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I did. I would never have changed anything for it. And so did it not go quite the way? The typical entrepreneur story. Did it not go quite the way that you anticipated it would go? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that typical belief is that, you know, in case of smooth sailing, you know, um, 
we really got to do something about changing that story. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you can't expect it to be a little bit choppy. Uh, no, it didn't. I actually failed fast, you know, like hard and fast. It, and it's so funny because I think there is this bubble of like when you're in the naive space, like I was so naive in the beginning and I just had, you know, like it was all just grit and motivation and enthusiasm and positivity. Right. Um, I think when I was in that bubble, nothing could stop me. But when I, I love awoke, that. like when that bubble burst, it was like, when I started thinking too much, um. then things started to go south. So, and it was because I think I started thinking it, it was actually easier at that time because I just didn't know what I didn't know. So I was just talking to people and letting them know I was an entrepreneur. And, and then when I started like looking at, maybe I'm not doing things the right way or is there a different way it's supposed to be done? That's when I started doubting and second guessing and actually sabotaging myself. Do, without do you think, did that come from encounters with <laughs> other people like going to, you know, like you were digging into it, going to conferences and talking to other coaches and doing, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, it was definitely. Other people were telling you about reality. (laughs) Yes. I think it was a little bit of everything. It was like a little bit of the comparison game. It was a little bit of being intimidated by other people being in certain spaces that I'm like, oh, I should be, I should be doing what they're doing. Right. Or um, even at the time, because when I first started, my business concept was really more, first it was sales, but then it was like really kind of helping people launch their dreams, you know, like get started. Um, And I started second guessing even the direction. I was like, I don't know if that's the way, because people, you know, you'd say, hi, what do you do? Well, I help women who want to launch their businesses, launch their business. And then I'd get like people kind of cocking their head to the side, like what, you know, and and then I like just started getting nervous and doubtful. So it really was, having all those conversations and getting the reactions and, and really measuring myself against others that just started spiraling me away from doing what I was already doing well. And I didn't even realize it. So how did you overcome that? Um, I think it, it became doing some of that, the work of like just getting my mindset together and stop comparing and starting owning like what I do really well. And then also being bold, sometimes just making myself do things like, you know, take a, do a talk, meet people that you don't know, go to these networking events. Um, so trying to, trying to kind of get myself out of that space of, of allowing myself to be scared or intimidated or resigned or any of that, those things that just weren't helping me. Now, right. it wasn't smooth. It wasn't a smooth transition. It definitely took a lot of time for me to even get there. Um, but when I started noticing, like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you didn't start this to be unsuccessful. You started this to be successful. So you can't just sit here and not be, not do stuff. You've got to go do it. That's what started me moving towards and just keeping taking steps. And so now you've been doing this, now you've been doing this for a long time and you actually coach other women is that are, do you, is this a common story? You just, I, mm-hmm. I already know the answer. I already know the answer to this, but I want you I know to you answer this. Yeah. <laughs> is this a common story? Do you hear this a lot from other, from the women that you have coached through the years? I feel like this is the most common story. Um, the dip, the difference may be, you know, I think my my confidence in the beginning was there because I have a sales background, because I'm used to meeting strangers, because I'm used to, you know, going out and networking and, and being out and about. I think that was not as typical for most people because uh-huh. a lot of times they just don't know what to do, you know, how to do it. But that was a part of the work that I had done prior, and I find a lot – of women may not be in that space where that was their prior experience. So for, for anybody who's kind of transitioning from a space of I've never really had to network or I never really, I don't like talking to strangers or that may, that may not be their experience, but the, 
the comparison and the hesitations and the doubts and the, and the, you know, I, maybe I don't know, maybe this is not a great idea. What is I thinking? All of that is very, very typical. Right. Right. Um, so I really want to dig into this. So now you've raised so many questions. I can't wait to get into <laughs> all of them. Okay. So let's break it down. First one, I want to talk about this sort of introversion, extroversion thing that you just kind of raised, because clearly you, when you're in sales, whatever you may be in your heart of hearts, you know, if you read uh, Susan Cain's Quiet, Susan Cain, I think is her name, right? Quiet, the author of Quiet. She talks about introversion versus extroversion. She says introverts basically get their energy from their alone time and extroverts mm -hmm. get their energy from other people. That's kind of how she defines that. But, but, you know, you being in sales, you obviously have, whether you're at heart, an introvert or an extrovert, you obviously have this ability to be very extroverted and go out. You're very comfortable going out being around people and working a room and all that kind of stuff. A lot of my clients, I, I work with a lot of attorneys and certainly the litigators are often very comfortable being out and doing a lot of public speaking and talking with people and that kind of thing. But a lot of the more trans people who are drawn to sort of transactional work um, tend to be extroverted. And whether we're looking at attorneys or non-attorneys or whatever, when you're dealing with introverted sort of people, they think of things involved in sales and and networking and public speaking and going out and marketing themselves and marketing and sales being two different things, which we'll get into in a minute, mm -hmm. as just their worst nightmare. So what can what kinds of things can you tell us that will help us if we don't really love to go out? and mix amongst the masses and talk about our business that will help us just, um, to, just on I, a marketing yeah. networking level. Yeah. I find pick, pick what works for you. You know, at the end of the day, you ultimately have to connect to humans, you know, like there's, there's just no way around it. You got, you got to work with other people. And so if you're not the type, like what most people don't, didn't realize about me is that as extroverted as I seem, I have really large introversion tendencies. So I'm an ambivert. I'm like right in the middle mm -hmm. where I, sometimes I'm like, yes, all people all the time. And then sometimes I'm like, please, I don't want to see another person for years, you know? Um, and what that translates into is when I network, I hate chit chat. I like, I can't, it makes my skin crawl. Like, let's not talk about, you know, oh, it's a, oh, look, they have nice cocktails here today. It's just like, I can't, you know, I love deep conversations. I love getting to know people. So networking is not my favorite thing to do. But what I do do when I do go network is I find maybe a person that I feel like I can spend some time and just like spend time getting to know them. So I make it almost like a one-on-one -on -one experience inside of a large group. And so that's one way to do it if you're not necessarily like the extrovert or even comfortable, like finding that person that you feel like, just strike up a conversation. How are you? And if you feel that it's like, okay, is it really not going anywhere? Move on to somebody else. Um, or set up coffee dates and just do it one-on-one -on -one that way uh, or video, you know, virtual coffee dates. So they don't have to, you know, great thing about technology. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be in the same room. Reach out to people via email, just like, you know, Pick a person that you already know and start to get to know them better, deepen the conversations, deeper the relationships that you already have. So you don't have to do it the way that you feel like an extrovert might do it. Now, there's people who love to public speak. If that's your thing, public speak. There are people who love to write. If you're a writer, write. But you're also, you know, when it's writing and things that are, you know, especially when people try to do social media, you still have got to do those things that are going to ensure that what you're putting out is being, is actually being reached, you know, but it's people are, are reading it. 
And so that means that you're going to have to take those extra steps to make sure that you're going to get eyes on your stuff. And that can be a little bit more, that can be a little bit more involved, but still choose a medium and a method and approach that really works for your style and way of being. Because the more authentic you can be in it, the more natural you are and the more that people gravitate towards your natural way rather than, you know, your put on way. Right, right. I love that. I love those those tips. Um, so let's. I what I really want to pick your brain about is sales because sales people just get, you know, turned inside out when you talk about sales. They they <laughs> they feel you know unclean if they think that they have to sell something, right? You know, people and and what a lot of people equate sales with is asking for money. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I want to talk about this in terms of, so there's sales, like when you work for, when you work for, when you do pharmaceutical sales, you're working for a company and you're selling somebody else's product. That's one kind of sales. But when you mm-hmm. are an entrepreneur and you have a service-based business, a small business, and you're selling services and you are also the provider of the services that really brings up a whole different challenge because now what you're selling is you're selling yourself. You're selling you and the services you provide. If, you know, if you haven't gotten to the point where you have a platform and you're selling, you know, your programs that are detached from you a little bit, you know, like video programs, you're actually selling you. You're the ones going to show up and provide the service. So whether that's a coach, a consultant, a lawyer, an accountant, whatever, I think that's what makes it particularly challenging for entrepreneurs, particularly, uh, I know particularly a lot of times for women entrepreneurs that I've talked with who may not feel particularly confident in themselves, they may be confident in their ability to do the work, but they're not confident in tooting their own horn, so to speak. You know, they've been taught mm-hmm. that it's uh, unseemly to brag about themselves or toot their own horn. So now they have to not only toot their own horn, they have to they have to put a price on it, a valuable price <laughs> on it, right? And say, yep. not only am I really good at what I do, but I'm so good that I charge X amount of money for it. And if you don't pay it, you can get out of my office, right? So, so mm-hmm. that's that's what makes sales so challenging for personal services for small businesses, right? So let's break all that down and see if we can't help some folks and give them some pointers on how to approach. First of all, maybe let's address the mindset because that's really, Mm -hmm. if you can conquer the mindset piece, right? That's a big chunk of it. Don't you think? It is a huge, huge chunk of it. And you know what? And honestly, it's exactly was my experience when I started my business. <clears throat> you know, people think, oh, you were in sales, so it must have been easy. Actually, just what you said, selling for somebody else and selling something that you're not attached to is so much easier than selling yourself. When I made that transition, I had no idea what would come up for me mentally around selling my own services. I truly struggled. And, um, and it's everything that you said, you know, it's like, it, it kind of brought up the, what will people think of me when I ask for that money? Am I really able to pr- produce what I say I can produce? What if I suck? What if I fail? What, if, you know, it's like all of these right. things came up and it's, you know, and it was just shocking to me because I, I just could not understand why I was so challenged. And even my husband was like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> he's like, I have never seen you like this. Like, what is wrong with you? I can't believe like, Who are you and what have you done with Karen? <laughs> yeah, it's like, where is my wife? You know, who's like, one minute I was just like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to rock it. I'm going to be this successful business owner. And then the next thing I was like, you know, in a corner, like sucking my thumb, like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was just a really strange space to be in. And what I find is that the mindset piece is really shifting and sorting through or, you know, all of the lies that you're telling yourself. 
because it really is just a bunch of crap. You know, it, it's so it's all crap. The am I, you know, am I capable? Well, of course you're capable. Look at everything you've ever achieved in your life to be where you are now. You wouldn't even be embarking on entrepreneurship if there wasn't a part of you that would truly believe that you're capable of being successful. So it's taking inventory of the things that are true. Like what, like what is true about you? And so, you know, it's like, how long did you go? Like for you, you're a lawyer, right? You know, how long were you in school studying law? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How long before you even went to law school did you know that you were going to be a lawyer? How many hours did you invest? You know, you were eating, sleeping, breathing the legal system and, you know, everything about it when other people were like shopping at the mall and not thinking anything about law, you know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. Karen. Yeah. Of, <laughs> you know, it's like all of those things that you did to become accomplished in that area, just the skills that you had to do, the education, the training, all of that just demonstrate who you are in character, who you are as far as intelligence, who you are as far as commitment. And so really taking ownership of all of the qualities and all of the characteristics and all of the traits and all of the experience and all the skills and, you know, bringing those to the table. So when people get confused about why they should charge so much or who they really are and how capable they are, sit down, take inventory, write it all out. I do so this take inventory. Number one, take inventory. I love that. Take write inventory. it all down. Yeah. Write it all down. I do this exercise with my clients all the time, especially when we, we get to the point of like, okay, how much are we going to price your program? You know, it's like, ah. Um, and I'm like, okay, how many hours did you did you study whatever their industry is, right? How how often, how many times a day do you think about this subject? <laughs> you know, it's like if you have to be a master in ten thousand hours, if it takes ten thousand hours to become a master. I can guarantee you that 10 hours, 10,000 hours and then some is covered for everyone I've ever talked to as far as entrepreneurship. Correct. And so not losing sight of your area of expertise. Own the heck out of that baby. Right. Okay. Right. You know, so it's like take inventory and then the second piece is own it. <laughs> own it. <laughs> don't let anybody take it away from you. Okay. So right. I find that that's the thing. And then it's like, also, if you think about the inventory and then you attach the money and the time to it on what you poured into it, because this is the other thing, what were, you know, I've heard this, I, I think I could probably butcher this a little bit, but I want to say it was Van Gogh. And this woman comes up and she's like, I want you to paint me a portrait of myself. And so he, you know, he sits down, he does his portrait, hands her the portrait and he's like okay she's like how much will that be and he's like ten thousand dollars and she's like ten thousand dollars it only took you an hour and he's like no ma'am it took me a lifetime right we have to think about how much time energy investments that we've already made into our development to be able to give somebody else our masterpiece within minutes right. and so when we think about the pricing we can't shortcut ourselves and you know and take away from ourselves because we're really just saying to ourselves, oh, I'm not worthy, you know, right. and we're, and it's like throwing away all that we did to, to be who we are and to do what we can, you know, and so, and it's a unique skill set, you know, it's you unto yourself, you're bringing all of that and yourself into that, and that's valuable, and it's especially valuable to somebody because you're solving a burning problem for them. They have a problem that they need an answer on and they want it fast. And so you're taking all of that stuff that you've done over the years and years and years and you're giving to them fast. You know, think of how many people, as when you were a lawyer, think of how many people came in and they're just like, oh my gosh, after an hour of consultation, they're like, you just saved my life. Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, and it is much cheaper to hire, it is much cheaper to hire you than it is for them to go and go and do all the things that you did <laughs> to get the knowledge right. that you have, right? So they could go right. and they could go to all those years of school that you had and they can go through all those years of working your way up the ladder, you know, all those years of sales and working your way up the ladder in the corporate and go through all those sales training and all that. And then they'll have the knowledge that you had 
but that's going to cost no. them thousands and thousands of dollars, or they can just hire you for a few thousand dollars and get the problem solved in a much shorter path, right? So there is yeah, that. Yeah, learn it and do it. Exactly. Yeah. And have, you know, have the results a lot faster. Like, you don't want to go back to my 20-year timeline. Like, <laughs> exactly. Me. You don't. I can trust me, you it. don't. <laughs> yeah. So when we think about that, it's like, you know, giving self-credit and really being honest with yourself and saying, you know, like anytime a doubt thought comes up, just being like, is that really true? And there Mm -hmm. might be certain things that are true, okay? So it might mean that there might be a skill set or something that does need to be developed, and that's okay. But don't get caught down the rabbit hole if that means it's going to, you know, I got to change everything because of this one little skill set. And there's certain skill sets that are maybe going to be worth it, you know, that that you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of picking up. You know, I find that people often get, sidetracked and you know they get off the path of where they're supposed to be and trust me done that been there can write a book about it don't want to yeah. uh, you know all the bright shiny objects of like okay because I want to resist I've got to do this one thing you know like or I've got to I've got to stop procrastinating or I've got to you know like I'm scared to do something well, let me do this here's the one thing here's the one thing I found is that you can actually you can actually still work and make money and have a viable business while you're learning something new. So you can you can learn skills and still make a living and pay your bills and you know and fund your dreams while you're learning new skills that will add at value to what you're doing. So it's not an either Isn't or situation either. You know, it's not like you have to stop everything to learn something, right? Yes, yes. And I think that's, you know, something that, again, it's like noticing when there might be that unintentional procrastination or deviation or, you know, just their unintentional sabotage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. The distractions are huge and they're always going to be there and available. And so <clears> it's, it's, but it's really calling yourself out on your crap. And so speaking of calling yourself out on your crap, let's talk about, mm-hmm. let's talk about avoidance and avoiding having, and, and when I say sales conversations for all of the people who are listening, who have consultations or strategy sessions, um, I'm talking to you as well. Those are sales conversations. <laughs> Yeah. If you yep. if you're in business to make money, <laughs> yeah. If you're in business to make money, um, then which is if you own a business, then you're making money. Otherwise, it's a hobby or a charity. Uh, if you're yep. in business, the goal of business is to make money, is to make a profit, and so those are sales conversations. So that's what I'm talking about when I say sales conversations. So, um, so calling out, calling people out on crap, calling myself out on crap, everybody else who has at some point in their life and career had a business and avoided sales conversations because they are scary. Um, Mm. I have found that the best way to get better at sales conversations is that sort of learning, applying, learning, applying, learning, applying approach where you, you learn techniques for certain ways to phrase things, certain questions, types of questions to ask and things like that. But then have as many sales conversations as you can. So as many consultations as you can, as many strategy sessions as you can, because the more you talk with people, the more you questions you ask people, the more you, the better you're going to get at this. And for me, an approach that has worked has always been focusing on helping, you know, on really asking questions and really digging deep with somebody and saying, what is the problem that you're having that you're trying to solve? Right. So mm-hmm. putting the focus on the other person. So talk to me about that. What is, what is the approach to a good sales conversation that yeah. we should be taking? So- so you triggered my mind with so many things. I get so excited. I know, I know. That's what I'm here for is to trigger, <laughs> trigger you. 
Um, so first and foremost, it's really so it's kind of like calling out in the BS, right? It's like really what do you think you're doing in a sales conversation? Kind of go back to that to that mindset piece and like the reframing of what you're doing needs to happen, right? If you're selling something, it's to to help somebody solve a problem. You're providing a service that solves a problem. Do people think that sales is typically taking something away from somebody? And you're actually, if you're doing it right, you're giving something to somebody. You're giving them the opportunity and the ability to get out of whatever rut they're in. So when you reframe it, just that, right? Like start with that. Then when it comes to having the sales conversation, it's good. So this is where the marketing and the selling kind of overlap. It's so much easier to have conversations when you're talking to the right person in the first place. So everything that you said, absolutely, you need to have a lot of them, right? You just need to get, that's how you build your muscle. You can't sit there and build your muscle in your head. and just like, theoretically, I should be great at sales because I've been studying in my head for a lot of time. It's not until you have the real world application that's going to prove that you're, that you're strengthening your muscle. And, and actually you learn so much when you make mistakes. It's actually a beautiful learning ground when you don't do as well as you think you do. Of course, everybody wants to go in and, and have as many conversations and have people say yes all the time. And that's beautiful when it happens that way. However, it takes a while till you get there because like you're saying, there is a formula that needs to happen inside of that. It starts with just even how you're showing up. It starts with how you're even conducting the conversation. There's a framing of the conversation in the questions that you're asking, the order in which you're asking those questions. how you're being, you know, leading the conversation, like you should be in command of the conversation. Lots of times people get off track and they get stuck in the story of the person, you know, and they, they, you know, get lost in the conversation and they don't know how to navigate back into, okay, what we're trying to do is find out if you have a problem that I can fix and if you're the right person and I'm the right person and that we should work together. Because at the end of this, we're going to be, entering into a relationship that's going to be kind of like we're a little married for a little while and mm-hmm. it might be for a little while, it might be for a long while. So we should like each other along the way as well. Um, you know, and all of those factors into the conversation and where you're really doing this consultation to find out if we jive and find out if I can help you. And then to find out if you're at the space and if the timing is right. And also if your commitment level is there And then also if you have the means to invest, right? Like all of that is what that conversation is. But really what starts it are the two things that you're ready for it. So your mindset is clear. You're clear about what your intentions are. You're clear about who you're, you know, who you're being in it. And that the other piece is you're clear about who you're having the conversation with. Well, and, and theoretically, at least people are not, they wouldn't be sitting there talking with you if they didn't have a problem that needed to be solved. If they didn't think that you were at least somebody that, you know, they have some uh, idea that you are somebody who can help them solve this problem potentially. Right. So they have some desire to be there or they wouldn't be there <laughs> engaging in a conversation with you. So we yeah, start from you would that, that. That would be the case. Yeah. Right? Yep. But you uh, also <laughs> want a smart, smart target, right? You want to be, you want to be about, you want that to be 80% sure for yourself that that right. person is the right person for you too. You know, because there's been times in my career, maybe in yours, where you've taken on clients that you're like, oh my gosh, this is like, this was the biggest mistake. I should not have worked with this person. It was, you know, a headache or we just were in a mismatch or maybe I was in over my head, you know? So you want to be clear that. Because I think what will happen too for women especially is we get into yes mode. Can you do this? Yep. Can you do that? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, and we're saying yes, yes, yes. And then we end up with a client and we're like, I said yes and I, did, I should have said no. I didn't really, you know, I should have been a little bit more discerning or I should have been a little bit more honest or I should have been a little bit more, um, you know, reserved in my, my enthusiasm. Um, and so sometimes you can find yourself, you know, all money is not good money and some, you know, some money is too expensive to take. So oh, if you want to, 
Yeah. So if you want to make sure that you have ideal clients, clients that you really love to work with, clients that are going to make your work just like joyful, then being sure that you're doing the things that actually pre-qualify them in place so that you're having conversations with people who are pretty much they're 80% sure that you're the right person too. And they're also timing. They're ready to commit. They're not just there kicking tires and feeling things out and like, oh, I was just curious. You know, they're really at that space of, oh, no, I want this problem solved. And I'm just making sure that you're the person can because I think you can. And let's just have a conversation because today's the day I want to get going. I see. It's kind of interesting because when it comes to um, attorneys, I uh, in, in the coaching and consulting world, you you would have more people who might say, yes, you know, I can help you. I can help you grow your business. And particularly uh, when you're new to coaching and you kind of think every business is the same and you, you can help, you know, and you might get in over your head a little bit on that kind of thing. So I know what you're talking about there. Um, but like I find with, um, with in the lawyer world, a lot of women lawyers might say no, no, no to cases because they feel um, they lack confidence to try it, to do it because mm. Maybe mm. they're afraid of getting it over their head because of the fear of being, of, you know, n- not being able to do it well and then getting grieved or, you know, something like you're getting sued or you, that kind of thing. So there's a lack of confidence when actually they probably, not probably, they're, they're skilled, they're confident attorneys, and they could do it, but it may be hard. It may be hard. Nope. So it's the opposite, because the same thing at play, but the opposite response, right? It's all mm-hmm. coming down to the confidence factor, right? Yep. So, and that's, again, that's that getting honest. You know, that's that, that's the... Is it true? You know, like are, you're, you might be turning away a client that you absolutely can handle. And so that's the, well, what's getting in the way of you believing that? You know, like that's well, we forget the resources like, available to us. We forget the resources available. Just because it's hard doesn't mean we can't access, that we don't have access to people and mm-hmm resources Mm -hmm. and research and all kinds of, you know, things that will help us get the job done. But, but anyway, I went down a rabbit trail away from sales. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all good because it's still, it's still about the confidence, right? You know, sales are so much, it's so much easier to make sales and to conduct sales conversations when you are confident because in that realm, right? You know, so say you're an attorney and you keep getting these people who are coming and you're saying, no, 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 no. Well, then your business is not growing in the direction that you really want it to go. And then that's the story, you know, like it kind of solidifies us. You're not really that good of an attorney as you thought. You can't handle big cases or you can't handle this, you know? And so that's going to slowly get to the point where it's like, well, I'm not going to take on, you know, any big cases. And I'll always be this little attorney that waits for referrals, you know, from people right. who already know exactly what I do. So that can really damage a business growth. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. And I've, and I've seen it, you know, happen with, mm-hmm. with attorneys who, you know, who have that kind of fear around it and it, and, and it starts in the sales conversation. That's where it yeah. starts. It's that fear of, I don't have the answers in this moment because a sales conversation for an attorney can feel like I have to have the answers in this moment. But the reality mm-hmm. of it, you don't have to have the answers in a moment. Uh, a sales conversation, a consultation is not about having the answers in the moment. It's about, right. it's, it, it's about, we need to see at this point, if you need to tell me what your problem is, and we need to see at this moment if we're a good fit to work together. I'll explain to you what the process is and generally how it works. And then and then I will, you know, once you retain me, I will dig in on this thing and come up with a solution to solve the problem. But I get paid to solve problems. Right? Mm-hmm. So the sales yeah. conversation is not where we do the work. It's just like being a consultant the sales conversation is not where we do the work and and we see that with coaches as well coaches and consultants people want to 
engage with us in a, a conversation. And oftentimes new coaches, especially new coaches and consultants, life coaches, business coaches, whatever kind of coach you are, fitness coaches, we, we want to jump into solving the problem when people first talk to us. And that's not what is, that's not the time or place. That's the sales conversation. Oh my gosh. It's so, it, yes. You know, even like when I hear people introduce themselves and they start to talk, they talk about their process and truthfully, people don't really care about your process. They don't care <laughs> how, how you do things. You know, I always use the example of like when today we had a dishwasher put in, right? When the guy was finished with the dishwasher, I, I wasn't standing there watching him put in the dishwasher. I didn't really care what the approach was. I just wanted a dishwasher that worked. Does it wash my dishes? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, was, you know, I wasn't sitting there like, so now do you take that screw and you screw it right there? And then are you going to, I, I was like, I could really care less. Is it done? Does it work? <laughs> you know, so there might be some people who do like to go through the process, but for the most part, when you're speaking to people, and especially when it comes to getting their problems solved, they want to know that they're going to have that result. What is the result? What's going to be the outcome of our work? And if it's what I think it, it is that I need and that I want, then we can definitely retain, you know, I can retain your services. And however you get it done is how you get it done as long as I have a result. I like to, uh, once we get to a point where they've made a decision, I like to talk about then next steps. But that's once mm -hmm. we've got to a point where their decision has been made and then I go, okay, here's what happens next, right? Yeah. Because then I like right. there to be clarity for people about, you know, and, and so let's talk about, let's talk about taking control. Who's in charge of a sales conversation? Because I think that's one of the things too, when, when a prospect shows up and um, one of the, uh, one of the issues that I know that I've seen come up over and over again with clients um, is they often let the prospect, the person, and that can be whether it's an attorney, a coach, a consultant, uh, any other type of business owner, the person shows up and they sit down and they, they just let them get into story and they just let them mm, tell mm. their story. And then they, you know, so they, so the, the service provider just loses all control of the conversation and they're yep. not, taking control of that conversation from the beginning. So can you talk about why, talk about that? Is that important? I mean, is it just me? Or it's is hugely, it no, 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 you are absolutely, you're hitting the nail on the head with that. It's hugely important for um, service providers to recognize that they are the one who's driving the bus of the conversation and that they are the one who's setting expectation. They're the ones who are directing, you know, every piece of that conversation and they're the ones who the, the reason that that person's there is because they saw you as an expert and so they're relying on your expertise and you lose and water down your expertise when they take control of the conversation now what's interesting is you know a lot of times you will have a person who is you know the person that you're providing the service for and they're interested in your services they know that they're going to get to that money conversation and and it can be very subconscious for people they might not even be recognizing they're trying to distract away from having that money conversation you know money's emotional so people get all wild and squirrely around it and so it's kind of like waylaying to that point of it's like it's going to cost me something it's going to cost me something i don't really want to talk about it so let me take control let me tell you what i'm going to do let me tell you i'm going to control this you know um and i've find that it's like it's almost like a unconscious subconscious psychological battle that's going on mm -hmm. between two people but if you as the service provider are really confident and clear and you have your wits about you then it it calms and eases not only the process but it also calms and eases the other person and so this is about as woo as you're going to hear me get is is I believe that there's a lot of energetic exchange that's going on there too, and people feed off of your energy. And if your energy is out of bounds, their energy is going to be out of bounds. So you've got to be the one who's like calming them because they're getting ready to make a decision and they're really fearful in that decision making process. And it's right. not really about the money; it's about 
at that point, whenever somebody's in a space where they're hiring a service provider, it's almost an admission of, I don't know enough. I don't, you know, like I, and I need somebody else to take control. So they're handing over their trust. They're handing over and they feel very vulnerable in that. Now they might not come off as that. They might not come off as, they can come off as straight confident, but they really are in a vulnerable space. And so they're almost doing anything to protect their vulnerability. And so you, if you're conscious of, at the end of the day, most people are coming to you and there's some type of fear and, you know, your job is to ease their fear and to show them with your confidence and your knowledge and your expertise that you have their best interest at heart and that you can help them, then that's going to help them make a decision that is going to benefit them in the long run. Right, right. I love that. I love that. And and if you have, I find that uh, having a systematic sort of process for your sales conversations, I don't know that people often think about that I can have, I can be systematic in my sales conversation. In other words, you can have a, you can conduct your sales conversations in a systematic way so that you can pretty much replicate a sales conversation the same way time after time after time again. So there's a formula to it. Not, not, oh my that, gosh, not yeah. that it's robotic, not that you're going to say the same, hello, uh, Miss Graves, I'm Miss Frederick. It's nice to <laughs> see, you know, it's not robotic, right? But you will say the same kind of, you'll, you'll have the same pieces and parts to the conversation and they will flow in a very similar manner. So I might ask you certain kinds of questions um, and they're going to be to elicit certain types of information and they're going to be very similar to this to the questions I'm going to ask the next client, the next client, the next client, the next client. Right. So we know that we're, every time that you come in, I'm going to you're going to be seated in my conference room. And let's say if you're meeting in person or if we're doing a, a I meet with my clients over virtually over Zoom. So I know that this is how my clients are going to show up. They're going to get a, a Zoom link. They're going to show up on the call. And we're going to jump right in after introducing ourselves. I'm going to say, you know, so what, what brought you on the call today? Right. That's going to be my first question. What brought you on the call today? Tell me about your business and what's going on. Right. So mm -hmm. that will be how I start every call. And then this is going to be my next question. And this is going to be my next. And, and then I'm always going to get to this question and ask this question. And then this is how I always conclude. Right. So, yeah. That so there's a formula that I follow pretty strictly, and then there's certain things that I'm going to be listening for that are red flags to me that are going to indicate to me whether or not this client is a good fit for me, or whether or not I automatically say, Okay, well, when I hear this, I know that this I need to probe further because I probably won't be able to help this person because this isn't my area of expertise or whatever, right. Yeah. Do you so, have tips around that? Oh, absolutely. Like, so the main thing in all of that is like when you have a formula and you have a process and you have a proven approach, right? And it's working for you. It gets you out of your head so that you can be there present, mentally present with that person across the table from you, whether that table is virtual or real, right? Mm -hmm. Um <clears throat> Because if you're in your head, you're not listening. If you're in your head, you're not, you, there are going to be things that you need to be intuitive about and there's going to be things that you need to be responsive to in the moment. And if you're not able to do that because you're so in your head, like, what's my next question? Or, oh, where is she going with that? I don't know what to do. Then chances are that you're going to miss the opportunity to enroll a person into your programs or your services. Mm -hmm. um, so, so by and far, I mean, like with my clients, I give them a script. I also have, virtual sales team that I hire for, I manage for other companies and mm -hmm. everybody uses a script. And I used to be so anti-script. I used to be the, I was the main bell ringer, like, no, scripts are horrible. That makes you sound like robots. And it's truly the reason that we use it is because there's a psychology behind it because there is a banner in which the questions will give you the answers that you need and that you can really problem solve for them in that conversation and so if you and it's just a, and it's really more of a roadmap and a guide 
you know, and so it's more of a framework than it is like, and then say it like this and then say it like that. It's just giving you, you're here. Now you're here in the conversation. Now you're here. And it's also that guide for them so that it's a logical, intelligent conversation that doesn't get, you know, distracted or diverted. It allows everybody to be, you know, on the same page. And if done right, it also gives that person tremendous breakthrough. So, like, when they finish that conversation, they have been given a service. They feel so much more clear. They feel like even if they say no and they walk away, they still feel that they receive something of value. So I'm a huge proponent of do something that works inside your business and that really helps you stay present and really helps you stay in that driver's seat of that conversation, but also gives them a lot of valuable service in the meantime at the same time. I love that. And I love that you call it a framework or a guide and it does, it, and it does apply. I can hear my, I can hear all my attorneys now going, Oh, that's not, you know, it won't work because every case that I have is unique or whatever. But what we're talking about is not a, not a, a, a script, like I said, like you said, you know, that it's written out, you say this, and then they say this, and then you say this, and they say this. We're talking about a framework, a, a process that you take them through. You want to make sure before they leave that you get collect certain information and that you're sure that you share certain information and that you mm-hmm. lead them through the conversation in a certain order. So it's very much yep. like preparing for uh, direct examination. Or, you know, when you're preparing for trial, you 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 take uh, witnesses through questions in a certain order. So it's very much that same kind of way. You're taking mm-hmm. your clients through the process in a certain order. Right. That that's yep. for all my lawyers out there, Karen. That, you know, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, I don't like to hear that. But it, it's not so different from what they do all the time. Yeah, it's like yeah. whatever you're you know, it's like anytime somebody comes to you, you're gathering information to make an intelligent observation and to provide the proper information. Right. And so it's the same thing. It's just in a, in a certain framework that acts, that works really well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have, um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, you know, you and I, we probably talk about sales for hours because there's so much, so much, and it's such an interesting topic. And there was a time that I absolutely, I mean, I was that person. I've been years in marketing And, um, but I was not, I was very good at relationships with people, but I didn't know how to close the deal. I didn't know how to close, how to have a sales conversation. And my life really changed when somebody taught me how to actually have a, my life and my business taught me how, somebody taught me how to have a sales conversation and how to actually sit down and talk about money and ask people for money and mm-hmm. and talk about it in terms of my you know um discuss it in a way that was comfortable for me and just matter of factly you know just like this is what it is and and then you shut your mouth <laughs> and, yeah. yeah all right <laughs> and you want to talk about that for just a minute like when you say when you say uh this is what i charge what how do you get comfortable actually speaking about money and what should you, I mean, like literally are, do you have some thoughts on that? Oh yes. I mean, first and foremost, it definitely goes back to being sure that what you're saying you're in alignment with. Right. And so, you know, if you're putting out dollar amounts that you're just like totally uncomfortable with, it's always going to come off that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but then also in, in that it goes either way, if it's too low, you'll be uncomfortable. If it's too high, you'll be uncomfortable. So finding that space where it might be just a little uncomfortable, but you also know it's right. You know, being making sure that you're confident, confident with that. And then what you said was key, you know, silence. Because once you say it, it's not up to you to get in their wallet, to get in their mind, to work through the mental acrobats that they're definitely going to go through. You know, I would say, out of every conversation, you know, for every 10 sales, you might have like one or two who are just like, great, let me just, yeah, here, you know, and if you get, if you get 10 out of 10, that's telling you yes to your dollar amount, 
you might need to raise your prices at that point. But most times you're going to have people who are going to have some hesitations around the money. And so you sitting back and allowing them to process without interjecting, without, you know, like trying to, trying to convince them is going to be a lot more powerful than you trying to get in their head and their wallet. And, you know, because that actually takes away from what they need to get through. They actually need to figure it out. And if they really want to, they'll figure it out. And you might need to, of course, give them some some framework around that and help them with that and make sure that you're asking you know, the questions that that break down any limiting beliefs or anything that they might have. But for the most part, it really is their job and you're holding that space with them. And so that, that brings us to objections around mm-hmm. money. Objections. Mm-hmm. Those are always that. And so, so one of the things that has been very interesting to me um, in doing the work that, that I do, f- not only for me, but in, with my clients, is the uh, how the human tendency just to immediately say no immediately mm-hmm. say no you can have a wonderful conversation uh, with somebody and they this is what they need this is what they need this is what i want what i want and then immediately it is uh, i have to think about it i have to think about mm-hmm. it i have to think about mm-hmm. <laughs> you know no no yeah, which is no you know this is you remember when you remember when your mother would say that you know <laughs> yeah Oh my God! How many times? And I am a mother, and I still do that. Like, no, okay, yeah. well, come back. You know, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, and and you're like, okay, well, so let's talk about what you need to think about, you know. And so you, so, uh, but there's a lot. The the my favorite objection is always the spouse, the spousal objection. That's <laughs> my favorite too. Spousal objection exception. It, the one where they've got to go talk to the spouse. And, and it's um, really interesting to me because this is a big difference between men and women because men just say, well, you know, they just go, which credit card am I putting it on? And women always got to go talk to their husband. And I say, well, what does your husband a partner in the business? No, he's not. But we talk, we always talk about everything about money, you know, and it's, it's mm-hmm. fascinating to me because men don't do that. In my experience. No. Yeah, most um, times most most times they don't. Most times. Every once in a while I'll come across men who do, but it's rare. It's yeah. rare. It's usually more more women to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I so it's so it either so for me, I always question is this a um is this a a question of I'm using my spouse because I don't want to make a decision or do I have fear around money? Do I have fear around, do I have fear of making, do I have fear, you know, of putting my big girl panties on, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Making a commitment that I've got to stick to, that I've got to stand behind. Yep. And so I'm gonna, so I'm gonna say uh, I have to, you know, hide behind. I'm gonna use, yeah, you because know, we use we use husbands as buffers, it's, you know. Oh yeah, I mean that's, <laughs> that's what they're there I mean, for. And I honestly will. I, I have to be honest. There are times now where I was like, oh, let me just go talk to my husband, just because you know, like I don't, I don't want to get on the phone or I don't want to, you know, um, which is not always the right thing or the nice thing, but it's true. Like it's an easy go to. Uh, and and I think it's because it's so common and so easy to do that that we do. Because once upon a time, you know, in our society, that was the only way we could, right? right? You know, and so it's been drilled into us from, you know, generations that you had to go and ask your husband to make a purchasing decision. Well, now it's 2019, and that's no longer true, but it's still a part of our DNA. So I think the most powerful thing that we can do, especially as women business providers and you know service providers, is that we can empower women to make their own decision and by blasting that objection. Like to me, that is 
my absolute most favorite objection to get because I will tell you at the end of that conversation, that woman is like, she comes out transformed. She's like, oh my gosh, I just made a powerful decision and I did, I, and I made it for me. It had nothing to do with anybody else. If we can shift women into the ownership in that decision, we are actually freeing women from, you know, generations of this belief that they have to ha stand behind a man and that somebody else is responsible for their decisions. Well, usually what I hear from women when they say that they, they always, well, you know, I have to, I'm not, I'm asking permission. We just have an agreement that we discuss anything over a certain amount. I mean, he would do the same for me. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I can appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, I'm married. I can appreciate that. And I absolutely, I applaud people having that, that level of, um, you know, that level of agreement in their relationships. I think that that is phenomenal and that we should be on the same page in our relationships. At the same time, that does not usurp the decision, right? That still doesn't take you away from the decision. If you're really, because I always say things like this, you know, like it's like, well, let me ask you this. How long have you been married? Oh, I've been married for 15 years. Okay. So you've been married for 15 years. Have you bought things outside of that budget before that you really wanted? Yeah. Did you always ask permission? Well, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Tell me about a time that you didn't. Well, I really like, you know, um, this car. And so I ended up buying the car and I told him about it later. Okay. So when you really, and, and what, is, what was his response? Oh, he didn't really care. Okay. So at this point in your relationship, you really do know that your husband, as long as you are behind it and committed to it, that he's pretty much going to be behind it and committed to it too, right? And yeah, absolutely. So so then in this conversation, are you going and approaching it like, I'm really confident, committed about this, and this is exactly what I'm going to do, and so I'm kind of informing you, and this is how we're going to make it work in our household? Or are you going and you're saying, well, I really, you know, I'm questioning whether or not I should do this, and I'm really trying to see if, you know, like where you stand on it? Because the Perfect. latter is really, you're still asking permission. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, like let's, let's call it what it is. And I actually was talking to a woman uh, one time, and we had this level of conversation, and she did come to the awareness that, like, and that was her whole, like, we always have these joint decisions. Blah, blah, blah. And um, when we, like, really stripped it away, she's like, oh, my gosh, I have been hiding behind that man for the, forever. <laughs> like, you know what? I really have been putting the responsibility on him. And she's like, you know what? And that's really unfair. She's like, I've been making my decisions his decisions. And it's really not his decision. And she was like, wait, I think I have a credit card in the mailbox. Let me go get it. And then, you know, like, she's like, I don't need to ask him anything. And it was right. it freed her, you know? And so. So there's a difference with, because even when we're having those consulting conversations with our spouse, we should still be coming to that conversation of, at the end of this, I'm still clear that this is what I want to do. I might need your your help in determining, you know, like just making sure that household-wise, it's not going to cause any disruption in our household. But for the most part, I'm just informing you that this is a decision that I've made. And basically, here's my game plan around it. And so just so you're clear. And then, you know, sometimes you don't even have to have that conversation until after the decision is made. Right. And it's, 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 so for me, I look at it as if it's for a business and your spouse is not a partner in the business, then yeah, I, that's how right. I look at it. If it so is it, is it a business decision and they're not a partner in the business then? You know, if you have a partner in the business and you need to consult that, then we need to maybe involve all the decision makers in the conversation. Yep. But, but if, if you're not the in your business, then <laughs> because if they were, if they're running the business, they're going to be making business decisions. You know, are you going to run every business decision by them then? Are you going to just, are you going to ask them about the people that you're hiring in the business? And maybe they are a business advisor. I don't know. I mean, you know, it depends on, I know my husband and I are, both um, entrepreneurs and we're both involved as business partners in different business ventures together. So he's a business mm -hmm. advisor to me, you know, so I value his opinion in that way as a business advisor. So that, you know, I can understand those kinds of relationships, but you know, that, so it all depends on the nature of the relationship, but that 
definitely is. That's a big objection. So many, so many wonderful things we could talk about, about sales. It's <laughs> so interesting. I can keep you on for hours, but we probably need to wrap up. Uh, and yeah, any, any so final thoughts that you want to share with us about um, that we, that you want to leave us with today with regard to sales and yeah. how to have a great sales conversation and yeah, like my my biggest takeaway for for you know is to remind remind you ladies that um you are doing something of value to somebody and that what you're providing is of value and should be recognized as such. It all starts with you recognizing it first. And when when you are sold on yourself, then it's a lot easier to sell to other people. And I can guarantee you that if you can get confident and comfortable in the sales process, then you're, and, you're, and you're selling to the right people, your work will be joyful. You will really enjoy, like you will fall, you can fall in love with sales. So, you know, I believe you could turn a sales holder into a salesaholic. You know, that's my, that's always been my, my thing is like, you can fall in love with sales. And when you do it, you start to see that it really is a beautiful gifting that you're giving to somebody. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, Karen, tell us how we can find out more information about you. Where can we find you on the interwebs? Oh, I'm all over the interwebs. Well, not all over as many people are, but I am on KarenGravesCoaching.com is my main site. And then you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. Oh, wonderful. Terrific. Thanks so much. I have really, really enjoyed this as I always do every time we talk. And I hope maybe you'll be back one day and we can continue our conversation and go deeper, deeper, deeper. I would absolutely love it. Thank you so much. I had a blast. The Solo to CEO podcast is sponsored by D. Frederick Media and Marketing and the Solo to CEO system. We help professional women entrepreneurs transform from solos to CEOs of high-impact, high-revenue-generating businesses while reclaiming their time and creating the lifestyle of their dreams. If you are ready to skyrocket your revenue, cultivate a crackerjack team, and set up systems and automation to get your firm running like a well-oiled machine so you can focus on the highest and best use of your time, then you'll want to attend our latest presentation, Six Shifts to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at law.solotoceo.biz webinar.